Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Amanda Loudon. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? It goes well. It goes well. Um, we were just laughing before we got on here that I, on my run this morning, saw a, it's recycling day here in the neighborhood and saw a recycling bin just full of wine bottles. <laughs> I just thought, well, maybe I stayed in the wrong house to shelter in place. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So are you staying busy with assignments? Um, yes. I, I mean, I still have a, a, a good number. I, I'm a little bit sad because I really, um, March was the most incredible month ever for me and mm-hmm. it, it's definitely slowing right now, you know, mm-hmm. which is to be expected. I mean, the entire economy is slowing. So, sure. um, yeah. So, it, you know, I try to stay calm about that, but, um, was your March, um, I mean, was it pandemic related or ju- did it just happen that you had um, a great month? I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, toward the end, it definitely started being more pandemic related um, work, you know, editors who were, you know, I mean, I, some of these editors, I just felt, you know, they're, they're going nuts out there because it is, you know, in the health, in the health um, specter, you know, these, mm-hmm. these people who just, <laughs> these editors who have to put out so much copy related to the pandemic and they have to pivot and table things and, you know, mm-hmm. um, so they're working hard and, and yeah, so some of it was some, some last minute, assignments, um, related to the pandemic. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, I want to express my condolences, um, verbally. I, um, you know, we can correspond on Twitter that I am so sorry about the loss of your cat. Oh, thank you. I know it was, um, it was awful timing and it yeah. was, um, just out of the blue. I mean, oh. he, he, he just completely like he's, he was 11 years old and, um, always healthy. And, um, he just uh, had a seizure and passed within Aww. a couple of minutes. Yeah, Aww. it was the craziest thing. And, um, you know, it was a lot for my kids because it happened, yeah. you know, right, right in their presence. And, oh, and my thinking, goodness. Oh. Yeah. And I was thinking, wow, you know, normally I would have been the one home to deal with it. And it just, you know, um, just me alone, I mean, you know, yeah. so mm-hmm. it made me mm-hmm. sad that they had to, to be there for that. So Yeah. 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 And you, ha- I know you have a dog, but so do you have another cat or that was your only cat? We do. No, we have another cat who is... <laughs> I mean, the wrong cat died. I got to tell you, Sarah. <laughs> Stop. I knew you were going to say this as soon as you laughed. I'm like, oh no, the stinker cat survives. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and and she, like the one who survived, she's really like the other one. He was really smart. He was sweet. He was engaging. And she's as dumb as they come. She took <laughs> all of her leads from him, like everything she's ever learned. She learned because of him. And, you know, she sat up there and slept through the entire day, completely unaware of the fact that he had passed, you know. And then like at nine o'clock that night, she finally gets up and it's like, well, guess what happened today, Elizabeth? I mean, so <laughs> Your cat's name is Elizabeth. That's such a formal name for a cat. Well, we have all, all of our animals are British royalty. We had Henry, that's who mm-hmm. pa- Henry passed. Mm-hmm. We have Elizabeth and then the dog, Tori, is Victoria. So, oh, yep. nice, nice, nice. Yes. I just finished watching season three of The Crown last night. Mm. And I did, are you, a, do you watch The Crown? So, you know what, I started, um, I started back when it very first came out. I have, I have a really bad habit of not following through with oh, series. Like I'll mm-hmm. follow and I'll be really engaged in the first series or the first season and the second one. So, so I've fallen off, but I would love to go back to it. Oh, you so need to get back on that train. It is yeah. so well done and just so transporting. Oh my goodness. Right. And the, right. the, you know, and you learn something, I mean, sure there's embellishments in it, but 
you know, right. then, of course I pick up my phone and I'm like, oh, really, you know, is that really what happened with, you know, Camilla and Charles or, you know, yeah. like that. And it's like, oh, wow, that's pretty close to the truth. And, you know, I know nothing about Princess Margaret. And right. She, right. Oh my gosh. And, and Helena Bonham Carter plays her in season three. And oh, she's fantastic. Oh. She is oh, wow. fantastic. And the rapport she and Olivia Coleman have, oh, nice. so good. Um, and just, oh, I just, I just love it. And there's, um, I think it's in season two, this one episode, um, with, um, Winston Churchill that just really sticks out and his, um, portrait being painted and, oh, so good. So good. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah. I'll definitely need to get back to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just sumptuous sets and the, you know, attire and the cars I found, particularly the cars in season three, I'm like, Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 And I also like watching TV now that really, um, takes me places. Like I've been watching, uh, making the cut on Amazon prime. It's the Heidi Klum, Tim Gunn version now of, you know, their version of project runway without it being project oh, runway. Okay. And the first four episodes are set in Paris and Ooh, mm-hmm. like, and they make it seem like it was sunny every day and warm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's not for real. Um, <laughs> and, and now they're going to be going to Tokyo. And I'm like, oh, get to go to Tokyo. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. Look, I'm, I'm writing these down. Oh, good. <laughs> you can also listen to it again, the podcast, and get these answers again. That's true. That's true. Yes. <laughs> I need to relive it all. Right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, so let's, um, what's going on with your training for Missoula? Yeah, so it is still chugging along. And because Missoula is, Missoula Marathon is supposed to be June 28th, scheduled for June 28th. And they keep really, they keep the racers so well updated. Oh my goodness. And just are just in very calm, clear headed, realistic tones. And so they say that they will make a decision, final decision on May 7th, unless there's something really um, monumental that has them make a decision earlier. Okay. And, um, so Kate, a bammer in Iowa, um, who I'm friends with, she is also training for Missoula Marathon. And so we have bonded together and we, you know, text each other and we're supportive of each other. And we just are like, okay, we're in it together until at least May 7th. So, um, yeah. And so I'm doing heart and soul level two marathon training and it is, you know, my first foray into heart rate training and I am loving it so much and I had, so I had so many reservations about it right <laughs> so many <laughs> and just from I mean I, I I knew it worked I had no doubt it worked but I also thought it was completely not for me like I yeah. just I am not I don't like relying heavily on tech I don't like being told to be you know to stay in really strict confines and um, I just thought, man, I'm going to have to go so slowly. I'm not going to like that. And boy, I just, it's so much fun to have a new number to nail. So instead of being like, oh, I need to hit this pace. It's like, okay, I need to hit this heart rate range. And I'll look down right. like, I'm like, oh, I'm in it. Yes, I'm in it. <laughs> you know? right. Right. Um, um, and so, yeah, so tomorrow have a um, a test that um, had did a test before I started. And so that's, you know, kind of um, figuring out what your average 
kind of average max heart rate. I'm not saying that correctly, but doing a really run, doing some warm up, doing some strides, and then going really hard for 15 minutes. Coach Jen says, um, if you feel like you have to throw up at the end of it, you've done it well. Um, so, so that's actually my goal for tomorrow to, to dry heat. So? <laughs> Maybe there'll be a little noon that comes out so it won't actually be dry. Um, right, right. And, uh, <laughs> it'll be colorful. Yes, TMI. Uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah, so, and then, and then kind of cool down after that. So just kind of um, very excited for that. So I did one of those before we started the program. Molly's uh, doing heart and soul for the half marathon in Missoula. And then instead of doing it the second test, I used my time from women run race down at Hilton Head on March 1st. And so this will, so yeah, going back to it. So Excellent. Yes. You know, what's funny about Missoula is um, it was just a couple of years ago that they actually moved it from late July to June oh, no. because of, because of fires, because they were, you know, oh the, the air quality was always bad. So they thought they would, let's, let's put it in a safer time oh, um, to avoid the, the, the bad air quality. And, and, you know, it's just, Oh kind of my gosh. Bit. Yeah. Because yeah. definitely if it, I would say if it was, I mean, I'm an optimist, I would say if it was scheduled for July 28th or something, instead of June 28th, I think we'd be in business. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, oh gosh, I'm just having such a good training cycle. Um, today I, um, went and dropped something off on somebody's porch after my run and walking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have no hink in my stride. Like I, a lot of times when I start training for a marathon, people will be like, oh, are you limpy? I'm like, "Mm, just a little, you know, hiccup, (laughs) don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And it's like, no, I'm completely balanced. I am not like my hips not dipping. I'm not, you know, kind of, you know, leaning on one leg instead of the other. So, um, Yeah. So. That's so great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope you get to use it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Particularly- now I have a question for you because there's a lot of bammers who are running these virtual marathons all by themselves. Would you ever oh. consider that? <laughs> so, so we have our Love the Run You're With virtual race series that um, is going to culminate if people want with a half marathon. I feel um, that is completely um, sane and rational. I got to say doing a, a marathon by myself, you yeah. know, like, because I also feel up uh, given the age I am, I don't have all that many marathons left in me. And so to pour yeah. one out, you know, I wouldn't, I'd be going the distance, but I doubt I'd really be able to keep the hammer down as hard as I'd want. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, I, I'm um, kind of, um, stupidly proud of the fact that every single marathon I've ever trained for, I have, completed the race, you know, like I haven't, I've never had to drop out of a training cycle because of injury. And so I feel that if, um, if June 28 doesn't happen, if Missoula doesn't happen, I'd kind of have an asterisk to that. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it's going to be on my, I won't have a tombstone, but, um, I'm going to be composted, but, um, uh, but, uh, yeah. So nobody's keeping track, but me, but yeah. And also because Missoula, because of, the weather and the town schedule and everything like that, they will cancel it. They will not postpone it for t- later in 2020. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, um, so I hope, you know, and, and Dim and I are supposed to be the headline speakers. So I hope um, that if it does not happen this June, that they would have us back next June. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there, oh my gosh, it's also going to be a total party weekend because there are so many bammers who are going to it. 
So it's kind of the, the race to be at this year. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there is, I will tell you, to, going back to your question, would I run a virtual marathon? They, there's a, a marathon here on July 4th every year. And I don't, I, last time I looked, I looked, I think last week on their site and it was still, they have not canceled it or postponed that one yet. So if, I mean, I doubt that Missoula would be canceled and then that one on July 4th here would be held. But if that was the case, I might jump into that. It's an incredibly flat marathon. It's um, a super popular half marathon and then very few marathoners, but it's on um, out on an island in the Columbia River. It's uh, through farm country. It's very pretty. Mm, sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, huh. so, but for now, I'm just taking it one day at a time. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's all the best. That's, that's the best anyone can do right now. Right. I think think I'm taking it one day at a time with everything, with making dinner, with thinking about races, with, you know, everything, everything. So yeah. 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 With my patients, with my kids, everything. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, well, all right. Well, we're talking trail running today with our guest and ultra runner, running coach and author, Sarah Lavender Smith. Sarah is a veteran racer who's done more than 70, yes, you heard me right, 70 marathons and ultra marathons. We originally asked her on to talk about the many topics she covers in her book, The Trail Runner's Companion, but now this conversation seems especially timely and topical in a way that you'll hear later. We'll talk to that, Sarah, after this brief break. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. I'm really been looking forward to this conversation. Oh, it's so great to be on your show. Thank you so much. So Sarah, like many parents these days, you went from being an empty nester to back to having kids in the house. Tell us the ages of your kids and and how all of that is shaking out for you. Well, I have to say it's the one silver lining to this COVID crisis, having my kids back home. I mean, I'm very sorry for them that they have to miss (laughs) their college experience, but my son is almost 19 and he's a freshman at CU Boulder. My daughter is in her senior year at the Rhode Island School of Design, and she's 21. So I really feel for her that her senior mm-hmm. year is ending this way. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, the show she was rehearsing for got canceled, and they won't have commencement ceremony. So it's really sad, but it's wonderful to have them under our roof. And then uh, my daughter's long-term boyfriend also moved in with us and he's 25. So suddenly I have these energetic three young adults under the roof and I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So um, we know you're quite the accomplished racer. Um, tell us a little bit about your running background and, and what prompted you to take up trail running over a decade ago. Sure. So I started a little over half my life ago running. I'm 50 now and it was 26 years ago when I was a stressed out graduate student in Berkeley in the spring of 1994. And I took up running because I was inspired by these two friends who ran a marathon. And I just, uh, there was something about seeing so many average looking people crossing the finish line that (laughs) blew my mind because I was never sporty or athletic. The only sport I did growing up um, was ride horses. And then I liked to party and smoke cigarettes. So I, you know, sports were not for me. (laughs) So suddenly my world was turned upside down by seeing these runners. And the very next day I 
I went out for my first run. I was wearing ankle high Reebok aerobics shoes and <laughs> overdressed and sweatpants. And the farthest I'd ever run was uh, six laps on a track. So I knew I could go a mile and a half. So I got in my little Toyota Corolla and used the odometer to measure a mile and a half to the, you know, because <laughs> this is before GPS. Yeah. And I jogged slowly and I felt so good at the turnaround point. I thought instead of walking home, I'm going to run home. So I ran three miles wow. the day. Yeah, it was the first Monday of March, 1994. It was my first real run and I made a goal to train myself um, and go back and run the marathon the following year that my friends had run, which was the Napa Valley Marathon. And wow. I decided I wanted to run the whole thing and break four hours. And I did it. So I ran nine minute miles, finishing 357. And I, and I was hooked. Um, wow. So I got really into marathoning and 10Ks for the first decade. And um, then I really, for... <laughs> number of reasons, both personal and athletic, I discovered the trail running scene in the Bay Area in the early to mid 2000s. And I transitioned to trail. Um, one funny thing is I was lucky enough to live next to the legendary female ultra runner, Ann Tristan. No um, way. Still hold, yeah, she was, wow. it, she was one of my neighbors. And so I was, um, yeah, I'm a reporter and a writer. So I, I did a local, I did a story in the um, local paper about Anne back when she was in her heyday winning both Western States and Comrades Marathon. Mm -hmm. And she was so nice. I mean, it was like, you know, being a kid who's into soccer and suddenly Mia Hamm is there to mentor you. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> she lived right one block away from me. So through her, I learned about Western States and ultra running and, I did my first trail marathon in the mid 2000s and gradually graduated to 50 Ks, 50 milers and 100 milers. But um, you know, people sometimes say, how did you, how long did it take you to run, to work up to your first 100 miler? And it really took me 20 years. I didn't do my first 100 till night, till uh, 2014. So -hmm. there's really no reason to rush it. Um, I think some people get into the sport today and just want to go from, you know, 10 Ks to 100 milers in the period of a year. And so taking the slow track is okay also. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good deal. Good deal. So Okay, Sarah. So as I said in the intro, we've had this conversation on the docket for months and I'm very eager to dive into talking more about trail running with you. But first you need to share a bit about the major health crisis that your family just experienced. Sure. I, uh, gosh, where do I start? Well, it all happened in March. Our our world turned upside down in March, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, on March 1st, I was um, in good 50K shape and getting ready for a string of races. I was supposed to do go to Moab for a 50K and then Lake Sonoma for a 50 miler and then to Boston for the marathon and then to Hawaii for a self-supported 250 kilometer stage race. So, you know, I was like, that's where I was March 1st. And two weeks Mm -hmm. later, everything's changed and we're traveling to Boulder to get my son and my daughter's moving back from Rhode Island from college because of the coronavirus crisis. And the day after my son gets home, he starts coughing and running a fever. And one by one, everyone except, thankfully, my my daughter's boyfriend who moved in, um, the four of us got sick with flu-like symptoms. And I thought, oh my gosh, 
you know, is this the virus? It, it maybe, maybe not. Our local medical center had very limited number of COVID tests and they're reserved for high priority cases. So we didn't get tested. But um, after, gosh, I think around March 22nd, 23rd, my daughter and I, um, you know, we were mildly sick for a few days, as was my husband. And then we got better. But my husband just started, he went from bad to worse. Mm. And it was, it's just like the classic coronavirus pattern where you run mild flu-like symptoms for the first week and then things get bad. And so he had about a 72-hour period where he just could not get out of bed for hardly anything. And he was running a low fever. He, he had intense muscle aches around his whole trunk, um, and he was profoundly fatigued. And he said it was like a cross between mononucleosis and shingles, if you've ever had either of those things, bad combination. And I was so worried, but we we felt that self-care at home was the best and only thing to do. And he was in touch with our local uh, medical center, but it seemed like he could breathe okay. I mean, he, he, he had had bacterial pneumonia five years ago where you get sort of wheezy, fluid-filled lungs and um, you feel chest pressure. And he didn't have any of those symptoms. So I was just trying to take care of him. And you know, people ask me, did you self-isolate? Which means, did you separate the sick person in your house from the others? And mm -hmm. I have to admit, no, we, we were not super careful about that. Although I tried to keep him away from the kids, but I did not want to leave his side because I was so worried about him. And thankfully, I, I was with him the night when things got really serious. And it was um, two Saturday nights ago. And um, I was lying in bed with him, counting his breathing rate listening to his cough and in a very short period his cough his cough got worse his breathing became very rapid to 38 or 40 breaths a minute mm. and i looked at his skin his skin looked grayish and then i took his temperature and it had spiked to 103 and i said mm. i said we have to go to the hospital now and he was resisting he's like no mm. he was delirious and kind of resisting which just you know, as a side note, it just breaks my heart to think of people getting sick with this horrible virus who live by themselves. I don't know how they could take care of mm. themselves because you get out of your head with delirium and hypoxia and fever. Mm. So I, it was shortly after midnight. I get him into the car. We live in a pretty rural area. I drive to town and he, we get him into the medical, you know, our little wonderful little medical center. It's not a real hospital, but they had an after hours doctor and they stick an oxygen monitor on his finger and they see his oxygen saturation level was only 74%. And mm -hmm. basically under 90% is in the danger zone. You should be in wow. the high 90s. So wow, he was wow. severely hypoxic. Hey, Sarah, and, Sarah, yeah? Sarah, I also want to say, tell people that you um, you no longer live in the Bay Area. Let people know where you live, because I think that- Oh, yes. Sorry about too. that. Right. Yeah. A little over a year ago, we moved year round to um, near Telluride, Colorado and Southwestern Colorado. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's where we are. Yep. Okay. Go ahead. So yeah. <clears throat> Morgan, um, they immediately got him on supplemental oxygen, which brought his oxygen level up. And thankfully, this medical center has a CAT scan. So at one in the morning or two in the morning, they did a chest CAT scan and 
Um, they also did a flu test, which was negative, but they looked at the chest scan and they said, I'm sorry to say we see bilateral viral pneumonia with the patchy pattern characteristic mm -hmm. of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so even though it would take five days to get the test results of the COVID test back, confirming he, he was in fact positive, he was the eighth person, you know, number eight in our county to test positive for COVID, um, they knew right away that this is serious. Mm -hmm. And so we need, he needed round the clock care and he might need a ventilator. So we had to drive to the nearest regional hospital, which was about an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was horrible. I mean, I, I've been reading the news. I know that people go get on a ventilator when their lungs shut down. And I was just, I, I, I realized that might happen to him. And so mm -hmm. at 3.30 in the morning that night, we stopped at the house briefly. He said goodbye to the kids. And I wondered if it would be the last time. And mm -hmm. I got him into the hospital. And thank God, the regional hospital was not overcrowded yet. They had plenty of ventilators if he would need it. And they got him on heavy-duty antibiotics, which is a mystery why that might help, since this is a viral infection. But they think mm -hmm. that antibiotics prescribed for COVID helps insofar as it reduces lung inflammation and helps fight any secondary infection mm -hmm. he might have. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is say goodbye to him in the parking lot mm -hmm. because I, I was contagious and they wouldn't let me inside the hospital, understandably. And mm -hmm. realizing that what these patients are going through and all the way to dying alone, it's just, mm -hmm. it's unthinkable. And so I said goodbye to him and made my way home and all the, you know, we've been, this is my high school sweetheart. He, he and I have been best friends and together since we were teenagers. So wow. to really visualize life without him and your mind goes to places you don't think you have to think about, but then you do think about it. Mm -hmm. And the next, you know, he spent the night in the hospital and the next day we were able to talk on the phone and have a very frank conversation about, you know, if you have to go to the ICU for a ventilator and be sedated and you're not getting better, should I come bring you home? And so it was a really tough thing to go to, but miraculously the oxygen therapy alone plus the antibiotics did the job. And so well, yeah. I was bracing for him to be in the hospital for many days. And after 36 hours, I got a call saying, Hey, it looks like he can go home with oxygen. He's wow. not going to need a ventilator. I'm just like, oh wow. my God. It felt so random. Like we, we want a coin toss or something. It's like, we got lucky. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 this is such a horrible infection for the 20% or so to get a serious case. Mm -hmm. So I brought him home and he's been recovering and he's, you know, his body's just been through the ringer. He had, after he got home, he still had drenching night sweats and headaches and some other symptoms and he has to be on oxygen, but he's, he's slowly getting better. So wow. long story short, uh, running has moved in the back burner. <laughs> and I don't care so much about my weekly mileage totals. <laughs> and like the idea that, you know, this weekend I was supposed to be going to Northern California to run a 50 miler and then do the Boston Marathon the weekend after that. I'm like, there's no way. Because I just feel... You know, I'm barely able to run now because I'm so tired from the stress and the illness. So uh, it's it was something else to go through. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are awful, terrible. We are I'm just... so glad that things are going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, 
Yeah, so um, I guess taking a turn back to running, um, it, you talk a lot about mantras in your book and, and in your recent blogs, um, you've been writing about coping strategies like positive affirmations, um, including I'm healthy. Can you talk about using those words and phrases during difficult times while running or, or maybe even, you know, applying it to these anxious times? Sure. Well, I think you're getting at the mental aspect to uh, running, which is particularly important at ultra distances. I mean, it's your mind as well as your body running. And I think one thing I've learned, sort of a life lesson that I've practiced in my ultra running and it helps in real life is um, being positive and it's what I call fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sort mm-hmm. of forcing yourself to be optimistic and positive even when you feel like crap (laughs) and it actually will help you feel better and so for example if I'm in a race and I you know especially if it's a a really depleting ultra and I get to an aid station and I'm just full inwardly I'm feeling full of complaints and fatigues and wanting to drop out I force myself to act positively and friendly and smile and crack jokes with the people around me because the very act of doing that and the positive feedback I get from the others at that aid station, it actually makes me feel better. That's mm-hmm. why I mean, fake it till you make it. And mm-hmm. so when you're running and you say positive mantras or you practice self-compassion, I, I mean, it, it, it really will make you run better if it, mm-hmm. it physically helps. And maybe it's the act of, of relaxing and releasing tension. Um, but, but I absolutely believe that this kind, these kinds of mental strategies and practicing um, what the coach Matt Fitzgerald has called developing mental fitness. <laughs> you need mental fitness as well as physical fitness to run well. And I feel like those coping strategies helped me recently with, with that life crisis, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I um, really struggled with a run that I had on Sunday, my longest so far for the Missoula Marathon. And uh, when I got back, though, when I finally got back to the house, I put on some really upbeat dance music and just started <laughs> dance, dancing around in the sun. And I just couldn't believe that I had the energy to do it. But I'm like, I'm just going with it. Like this music's making me move and it's putting me, you know, putting a smile back on my face. I'm like, I'm just going to give into it. So um, that's I hear, great. I hear you on the fake it till you make it thing. So so, um, so, okay, so let's zoom up to 30,000 feet, um, even higher than you are, are there in Telluride. Um, <laughs> and, um, um, so if someone's listening and contemplating testing out trail running, like not ultra running, just trail running, mm-hmm. what are the first pieces of advice and encouragement that you'd give her? Sure. Oh, well, there, <clears throat> well, first of all, just, just go for it. You know, keep it simple. You don't need a lot, you don't really need extra gear, special shoes, just, you know, go out there, find a trail and try it. What you do need is an extra amount of intangibles, such as patience, Uh, you know, it takes more time and patience, flexibility. Um, 
I think one thing that people discover when they start trail running is it is if, if you've been a dedicated road runner and you run track, you have a level of precision that really when you hit the trail kind of goes out the window or you, you just have to be more flexible because of the wonderful variety that the trail offers in terms of the variety of terrain. Um, you're going to have such a more variable pace. Mm-hmm. And so being prepared and ready to be flexible to just kind of go with the flow mm-hmm. of however the trail goes and to just mm-hmm. make the most, you know, run what you can do the best you can out there and be patient and give yourself extra time because it will be slower. Mm-hmm. Um, my advice I give early on in my book that someone told me once and really stuck with me is take what the trail gives you. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is whatever the trail presents, whether it's a steep, rocky hill or a really mud boggy stretch or thick sand, whatever it is, just take, take it and make the most and do the best you can with that terrain and that slope. Mm-hmm. And so it might mean you have to downshift to hiking on a really rocky, rooty uphill, mm-hmm. or maybe you suddenly hit a nice smooth stretch of a ribbon of a trail and you can stride out and run faster. Just, mm-hmm. just make the most of whatever the trail presents and be adaptable. And the other you know, the other thing I like about that saying, take what the trail gives you is it reminds you that, you know, being out there is a gift. It's, you should mm-hmm. run with gratitude mm-hmm. and really just, just appreciate your surroundings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, trail running is, is so different um, from one part of the country to the other. Um, I, you know, I know mm-hmm. where you are, you're at altitude without much um, tree coverage. And I, I can speak for where I am on the East Coast. You know, we've got a lot of roots and rocks. Um, it seems, you know, when I travel around the country, this feels a little more technical than, out, than it does out West. And um, so t- talk a little bit about the, the regional differences in, in trail running and how that, that impacts your, your, your trail running. Right. Well, I mean, it's, again, the variety is wonderful. I, until recently, lived in Northern California, where we had a lot of coastal redwood forests, and it was at sea level, which is wonderfully oxygen rich. (laughs) But um, yeah, you could be in in a beautiful redwood forest. And I do a lot of racing in the Southwest, and especially Southern Utah, where you're out in baking hot desert mm-hmm. plateaus or you're climbing up a vermilion cliff. I mean, it's just, that's the Southwest. And then here in Southwestern Colorado, we, you know, I live at 9,000 feet. Wow. Weather is a huge factor because the weather, you know, you can go out in the afternoon and the sun's shining and then 45 minutes later, you're in a hailstorm. So you have to understand the terrain and be prepared for it. And a lot of this, a lot of this gets to safety um, Mm. in that, you know, people think trail running is dangerous because of either wild animals or creepy people who are going to attack you. (laughs) It's like, okay, that might happen, but let me dispel those myths. You're probably Mm -hmm. not going to see a wild animal. You're probably not going to get attacked. The two key things that could hurt you are tripping and falling mm-hmm. or some problem with thermoregulation, which is either getting too cold and hypothermic 
or too hot and heat stroke. So you actually have to think ahead to how to prevent tripping and falling or what happens if you do. And you also have to really think about body temperature regulation and hydration issues. And so those are key trail running safety points that, you know, you should never get sloppy about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I, um, I didn't mean to laugh when you said creepy people, but that was always my thing. I'm like, there's ax murderers out there. Like, no, Sarah, well, people, you're, you know, when I live, <laughs> when people live in, when I lived in the Bay area, people would always ask like, aren't you afraid to run the trails alone? And I'd say, no, but I'm actually really afraid to run that traffic corridor back toward my neighborhood where I can so easily get hit by a car. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. Like, no we're d- scared of cars. <laughs> no, no doubt. <laughs> um, so um, kind of speaking of safety and, and staying injury-free, perhaps you have so many great exercises, warm-ups, drills in your books. What are some of your favorite ways to, to get the body ready for the challenges of trail running? Sure. Well, um, that's a good question. So I'm a big fan of a dynamic stretching warm-up that I do religiously and I have my clients do. It takes five minutes. It's described in my book. But dynamic stretching is stretching with movement. So it's things like leg swings and toe taps and walking lunges, things to get your body moving and moving in a greater range of motion and ready to run. Mm-hmm. So um, I love that warm up because it feels good, and then when I start running, I run better. But mm-hmm. I also like it because it's become kind of ritualistic. So that when yeah. I'm at the starting line of a race, mm-hmm. five minutes before the gun goes off, I do my dynamic stretching routine, and I just I was like, okay, now it's time to run. Yeah. Um, so I do that. Um, I really believe in for injury prevention. This you know this applies to any kind of running, that recovery is part of training and you have to build recovery into your week and then into your macro cycle of your bigger training block. And so Mm -hmm. with my clients and with myself, I deliberately alternate easy and hard days and build in rest days. And every three to four weeks, I have a cutback week, which is easier Mm -hmm. to build Mm -hmm. in more recovery. And so being being cognizant and serious about your recovery and only doing hard back-to-backs in a really deliberate way, which is useful for ultra running training or stage race training. Um, Just being careful about that and um, always thinking about the benefit of easy day and the benefit of recovery. And that's as important as your high intensity days or your long run days. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my, one of my principles of coaching um, which I know others adhere to too, is you just you want to make your easy days easy and your hard days hard. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. Try to get out of the gray zone and medium, medium effort uh, training. So that, yeah. that really helps with injury prevention. And then the final thing I'll say about injury prevention is just being in tune with your body and logging any of your symptoms. Mm. And pain is, you know, it's hard because people say, should I run through pain? Well, pain isn't black or white. It's on a spectrum. Mm. And so I have my clients and I do myself really get in touch with um, our symptoms and, and think of a pain scale where, where you 
grade it from one to 10, where one is normal and 10 is so severe, you, you, know, you couldn't even run in an emergency. And so you may start out your run and you have kind of normal dull achiness or stiffness. And you might say, gosh, my calf feels kind of stiff and is talking to me. I'd, I'd give it about a two or a three in your first mile of running. And then the key is, is after you warm up, have you kind of forgotten about that, that calf achiness? Or is it suddenly escalating to where it's affecting your gait? And you're like, gosh, this is feeling sharper. Now I'd give it a four or five. Mm-hmm. That's a signal you should stop and walk and cut your run short. But if it's feeling fine and back down to a one on the pain scale, then you know, you're fine to run. So being in tune with your symptoms and distinguishing between normal fatigue and, and stiffness and achiness, which is a normal part of the adaptation of training versus mm-hmm. the early stage of an injury is really key. And then mm-hmm. keeping track of that so that if and when you need to go to a physical therapist, you actually have a record of it. That's really yeah. helpful. That is all really great advice. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one thing I want to talk about is um, walking or, or walk breaks because, you know, in road running, um, people, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. cannot stand the thought of, of taking a walk break. Um, but, you know, when you're, when you're on a trail, it's kind of uh-huh. um, part of the package. So talk about why that is and, and when people should uh, know to switch over to walking on a trail run. Sure. Well, first of all, we don't call it walking. Right. <laughs> we, call, we call it power hiking. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so what's the difference between walking and power hiking? Which you know, power hiking really is walking, but sounds better. <laughs> um, so the difference is um power hiking is a lower gear of running, and there's no shame to it. Um Whereas walking, I think walking can be, walking is kind of aimless and might you kind of slump and stroll and you just walk along. So trail runners embrace power hiking because often downshifting to hiking is the most sustainable and efficient way to get from point A to point B. And so rather than thinking about running as the act of always having one foot off the ground, the locomotion where you you have a foot off the ground and your pace is probably somewhere between six to 12 minutes a mile. If you instead expand your definition of running to just think of it as the most efficient way to get over a surface of land, Mm -hmm. then you can do anything. I mean, if you're going up a scree field on a mountainside, you may be crawling and using your hands or, you know, when I was going up sand dunes at my last stage race, I wasn't running. I was bear crawling and using my hands. (laughs) But, you know, later on I said, yeah, I ran it. (laughs) I was was doing the best I could. So um, one of the best things for trail runners to practice is, seamlessly transitioning between that hike and run. And when you do downshift to hiking, think about keeping a running form. So that means like you're still pumping your arms as if you're running. You still have an engaged core. You're still moving as quickly and as efficiently as you can at the walk. So for example, this morning, I, um, I had to drop my car off at a service station and then I ran a trail home. So it was a net uphill and I was super tired. So it took me an hour 
to go only five miles, which is a 12 minute average pace, but that's because I was hiking a lot of it. But hiking felt like the most efficient thing. And so there's a switchbacky section and I didn't even think about it. It just felt natural to run a little bit on the straight part of the switchback and then hike the hairpin turns and then run a little more. And so ideally when you, when you embrace power hiking like that, you're just switching back and forth at whatever feels efficient and sustainable. And again, there's no shame in hiking. So um, it's not like the in road racing where you know Jeff Galloway advocates the run walk method, and you have a precise number of minutes that you walk and then you run. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's more intuitive, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know you just embrace the hiking. <laughs> and it's, yeah. There are a lot of, a lot of stretches around the mountains where I live that are truly unrunnable. And so the granddaddy race around here is called the hard rock 100, which is one of the hardest yeah. hundred milers in North America. And its nickname is hard walk because <laughs> it is a long, hard walk. <laughs> and so many of the top runners walk about 50% of the course. Wow. And it's, that's what mountain running, mountain running is really about being a good hiker. Yeah. I like that. I like that. All right. So, so final question, what's your most epic trail running memory? Oh my goodness. Um, my most epic, well, that's so funny. I I always joke about how epic is kind of an overused word and like everyone's like, oh, it's so epic. I mean, everything's epic when you trail run. <laughs> no, no, no. You so know, I think I think surreal is the most overused okay. adjective. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. Well, I think the most uh trans epic in terms of transcendent, you know, like mm. I transcended and went to a place physically and mentally where I had never been before and did way more than I think I could. It was in the final stages of my last self-supported stage race last September of 2019. Um, This was a really special race called the Grand to Grand Ultra. And it combines um, running with camping. Hmm. And you have to have, it's 170 miles divided into six stages. So it's basically Hmm. like a marathon or 50K every day with a really wow. tough 50 miler in the middle. And to make it even more interesting, you have to carry all of your um, sleeping gear and food for the week and you have to oh ration calories. So wow. you start out the week with a backpack that you want it to be as light as possible, but still sure. weighs close to 20 pounds. And um, you have to make all those calories last for the week. The only thing the organizers provide are water and communal tents. So you don't have to carry a tent because you're assigned wow. to sleep with seven other smelly strangers. So it's, <laughs> it's a blast. It's a really cool event. So um, I'll t- I I'll wanted the word for that on that one, Sarah. <laughs> I wanted to be as ultra light and efficient as I could. And so I cut it just a little too thin on calories. And mm. then the middle of the week, I got extra hungry and ate ahead on my supplies. Mm. Um, and I happened to be in the lead. So I was the lead female and the only female in the top 10 in a field of over, there were like 115 or so competitors. And I, I wanted to win this thing. And I really wanted a woman's name in the top 10. 
And then lo and behold, on the morning of the fifth stage, I got an hour penalty because I didn't have enough calories. Mm. So um, it was a very dramatic race. So you asked what was the most epic moment was realizing when I had to basically run on fumes or run on empty calorie deprived and still try to win this thing. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I'm going to pass out and DNF and lose this thing. And it, and I thought (laughs) your body can do more than you think it can. As long as I have water and electrolytes, I'm going to get through this thing. And so that was a 50 K or no, it was about marathon length through super hot, the heat in the desert. And I ran it and I, I found it within myself to run Mm-hmm. and I pulled it off and it was it was the most um the most kind of otherworldly transcendent mm-hmm. thing I've ever experienced running so it, it was profoundly satisfying and and emotional wow. well, that's good so congratulations so you were the lead the top yeah, female and win the top 10 I was the top yeah I was the top female and I went from seventh overall down to 10th but I still made it oh sweet among the guys yeah sweet <laughs> sweet sweet way to represent Sarah well done <laughs> it's a really cool event yeah my prize for winning is I was supposed to go do their sister event in Hawaii this May a self-supported stage race on the big island but it got canceled unfortunately so oh my god! I have to say that for another time yeah yeah Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us and sharing with us. Oh, thank you so much. I really admire your show. And, um, you know, I just wish the best to all the listeners who are out there training and trying to get through this, this uncertain time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Take good care. Thanks. All right. Well, better that Sarah than this Sarah doing what she just talked about. My goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh my goodness. That is amazingly badass. Wow. 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 For sure. Uh, um, So, all right. Well, we have something new that we've kicked off every Friday. It's called many happy hours and it's a new Instagram live series that we're doing. And, um, as this episode debuts on April 10th, 2020, Dimity is hosting. I kicked things off last week. As I said, it's Instagram live. It's super fun, casual. I have to say it was very fast paced. There were all these questions coming at me and I'm by myself trying to read them as I'm kind of having this, I don't know, just very extemporaneous conversation with myself, but with people there watching and just jumping topics and answering questions. It was a ton of fun. Um, I barely got a chance to sip my beer though. That's what I told Timothy. I was giving, <laughs> giving her advice and I'm like, I'm like, definitely drink before you do it because there's no time to drink during it. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, so I managed to get in like one or two sips of Sufferfest beer, but that's about it. Um, that's great. So to catch us on that, um, follow us on Instagram we are at the mother runner and then join us every Friday at least through April who knows maybe longer um, it's at 7 p.m. Eastern 4 p.m. Pacific and uh, it's a ton of fun our podcast today was produced in Portland Oregon by Alex Ward from sounds like pictures many happy miles you